Thank you so much for your Shabbat, your day of rest, and your day to restore us and bring us back to you, O oh God. I pray that uh, your word would go forth, O oh God, to encourage and build up and edify and uh, to enliven and restore um, your people, O oh God, with by your ruach, it's something that only you can do, O oh God, um, that you would use me, O oh God, mightily, and in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, before we get started, um, I actually, I have another announcement um, uh, that we, f- we forgot. Um, so this afternoon, our very own elder, Robert Ramos, can you wave? No? All right. He's, uh, he's, he said he, he would be around to share his personal accounts of chatting with Abraham and Moses and uh, what he learned from them. Apparently, <laughs> Moses was quite a guy to know. So this time will include a special comparative study between uh, the iPad tablets of today and the tablets of Moses. So thank you, Robert. All right. Well, if, if any of you are confused by some of our announcements, such as that, uh, I want to say April Fools. Yes, uh, it is April 1st. Um, if you're confused about which ones are real and which ones are not, we have put a special asterisk in the bulletin uh, next to the ones that are fake, so we don't want uh, you to accidentally bring any chickens or, uh, or anything like that, live chickens, to to Oneg. So if you're confused, you can look at that. Um, but we wanted to have some fun. Um, and But all of this kind of fun, thinking about April Fools, it kind of got me thinking, got me cogitating. The scriptures actually say a lot about what it means to be a fool. A fool. Yes. So in honor of April Fool's Day, I thought we could look at this relevant topic in the scriptures and learn how not to be a fool. Amen? All right. Now, the first occurrence of the word uh, translated for fool in Hebrew is sakal. Sakal. And it occurs in Genesis 31. So what's going on here? Here, Jacob has deceived his brother Esau. He has run away, and he has obtained two wives from Laban, Rachel and Leah. And he has worked for how much time? 14 years. 14 years. He wrote, worked seven for one bride and seven for the other. For his father-in-law, Laban. And uh, Hashem has then instructed him to go back to the land of Canaan, which is where, who's there? Who's back there? Esau is back there. So he has to kind of uh, repent and confront uh, his, his, his brother that he betrayed. Uh, but in order to get away quickly from Laban, he kind of had a contentious, difficult relationship with Laban. They, they kind of struggled against each other um, because uh, Jacob was, had a little bit of character defects. He was a little bit deceptive, and Laban also had this similar character defects. So the Lord sent, I believe, Laban to kind of um, mold Jacob, let's say, into the person that he wanted him to be. 
So, uh, so he left Laban. Laban went out to shear his sheep, and uh, he left without saying goodbye. And he took uh, all of his uh, sheep, all of the things that he had acquired. He took his wives, of course, which were Laban's daughters. And he took his children, Laban's uh, grandchildren, without saying goodbye. He just left. And the text informs us that Jacob deceives Laban by doing this in verse 20. And here is the conclusion in Genesis 31, 25 through 28. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. So Laban went to, uh, to go say goodbye. And Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me. You've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. And there is the word, uh, the first time that I have discerned that it appears. It's a foolish thing that Jacob did. So what can we learn from this? Well, Jacob is still in sort of the deceptive mode, and God is trying to bring him into a place with his character. So the Lord uses Jacob's circumstance to draw out the deception, the foolishness, right, and bring him to a place of humility where he can go then to his brother Esau without that deception and humbly repent for what he had done to him. Amen? So Jacob the conniver, right, he becomes through this, Jacob really our father. He's one of the patriarchs, right? And in him, we have the name Israel. That's where the name of the Israelites comes from because when it says B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, it means the children of Jacob. So God used this foolishness to draw out the character of Jacob through his covenantal love. Um, the word sakal also appears uh, with a lot with uh, King Saul, which should not be surprising to those of us who are familiar with his story. So in the beginning of his reign, King Saul, um, Samuel asks him to, uh, to wait, and Samuel uh, is a prophet, and he's going to come and do an offering, uh, similar to the offerings that Marilyn was talking about. And, uh, but what does Saul do? He, he gets anxious because there's a battle going on. Right? So he, what he does is he just says, well, Samuel is kind of taking his time. So what do you think he does? He just does the offering himself. He doesn't see Samuel coming on time, on his time, so he just goes ahead and does it. And Samuel had asked him to wait, and this in the scripture is called foolishness. When Samuel confronts him and he asks him, why didn't you wait for me? And this foolishness has cost you the throne, and it's going to go to someone who will wait for me, who will trust the Lord, and that would be King David. So in that moment, 
the, the authority, he knew that the authority would pass from King Saul to King David. This is foolishness. Um, Saul, again, the, the, he applies this word sakal, foolishness, fool, to himself when he pursues King David. So King, there's this young upstart, and he is winning a lot of battles, and uh, he uh, is supposed to be the next king according to the prophecy, but he's not trying to be king. He's just trying to stay alive, right? And so he's in the palace, and he plays music for King Saul, and then King Saul pursues him and tries to kill him, so he runs away, King David. And then he's pursuing him in, in forests and going all over trying to kill David because he's jealous. He's jealous of David, and he's angry, and he's holding a grudge, and he's bitter. And then Saul recognizes this at one point, and he calls it foolishness, and he apologizes for pursuing David at this point. Um, that's in 1 Samuel 26. Uh, in 2 Samuel 24, David encounters this word um, when he numbers the people. So he, he, he has it on his, on his mind to figure out how many warriors he has. And uh, we could see a kind of pattern here that there's, there's an anxiety. There's an anxiety about battles that are coming up. And, and so the, the people, what is foolishness is that they're trusting in themselves or they're trying to do it themselves without God's help. Um, in 2 Chronicles 16, there's a King Asa, King Asa who's the king of Judah. Now at this point, there are uh, the kingdom of the B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, is divided into two kingdoms. There's the southern kingdom of Judah and uh, the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. And all of the, basically all of the kings of the northern kingdom, Israel, were bad. They were evil. They were full of idolatry. And about half of the kings of Judah, which is where David came from, um, he was in the line of Judah, King David, um, Half of them were good kings, and half of them were bad. So King Asa is described as a good king, and he was uh, after God's heart, just like his um, predecessor, King David. He was the king of Judah, but he got into a fight with Basha, King Basha, who was the king of Israel. So B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, are fighting the tribes, one against the other. Um, and, but he does something foolish, King Asa. Even though he uh, gets rid of all the idolatry and he uh, is wholehearted toward the Lord, what does he do? He relies on a foreign king, the king of Aram, to defeat Basha instead of relying on Hashem. So all of these examples are people that just couldn't quite wait. They couldn't quite wait on the Lord. They couldn't trust the Lord. So how do we not be a fool in this case? We have to trust in God and his covenantal faithfulness, especially in times of anxiety. And we're going to see this come into play a little bit later. 
Another word for fool in, in scriptures is nabal, nabal. And uh, there's actually a story about uh, King David who um, encounters a man named Nabal, um, who was Abigail's husband. Um, and he did some pretty foolish things as well. But uh, this, this word appears um, in Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm 53. And it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Which I guess would make today, April Fool's Day, National Atheism Day, right? There's, there's a connection there, okay? But, but to be clear, to kind of clarify that, um, this does not really describe an atheist when it says it in the scriptures. When it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, that's describing a scoffer, a mocker, a mocker of Hashem. And it's describing someone who would act immorally, would do whatever they want to do, thinking they can get away with it because there is no God to bring justice. So the, the fool in this context would be a mocker or a scoffer, all right? It's not just someone that doesn't know if there's a God or is wondering, you know, that kind of atheist, but um, the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That means that they have rejected the idea of God so that they can do whatever they want and create their own morality. Is that clear? All right. So how not to be a fool in this case? Well, we have to know. We have to know that there is. There is a judge of all the earth, and he knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows our plans, and we are under his authority, and he has the right to judge us. Of course, we have mercy for the things that we've done wrong in Yeshua the Messiah. But the fool tries to weasel their way out of it and say, there is no judge. We know that we have a judge, but we also know that we are judged with God's righteousness through Yeshua. Amen? All right. Um, now, the fool is mentioned a lot in Proverbs, and uh, with this word and some various other words. Um, so what is helpful to reading the Bible sometimes is to understand the literary genre, because different books were written um, with a different genre, with a different purpose. Um, and scripture, of course, has a context. It was not written in a vacuum. Uh, so in the book of Proverbs, there are what we would call archetypes, right? And this is a, a type of person like a kind of uh, pure or idealized form of that, of that person. So, for example, when we read Proverbs 31, right, does this woman actually exist somewhere? Probably not, right? It's sort of the ideal woman. But there are those who would reflect this character because it's, a, it's an archetype, all right? So we don't have to feel bad when we read uh, women if, if you read Proverbs 31 and say, well, I don't quite meet all of these because there's no one that would meet all of them, right? But it's, a, it's an archetype. So the same way, no one in real life is completely foolish, right? As the fool described in Proverbs, right? They would have to be, now don't, don't try to prove me wrong, 
okay, and try to think of someone that would fit, you know, the perfect fool. Okay, that's not what we want to do. But these archetypes are in the scriptures to help us, to get us to pursue wisdom and shun foolish behavior. So we want to, we, when we read this about the fool, we want to say, okay, I don't want to do this, right, idealized fool, but I do want to be the person that is wise. So all of that to say, here are some of the things that describe the fool in Proverbs. A foolish person despises wisdom and instruction and discipline or correction. Um, Now, when I was growing up, um, my parents, let's say, were very uh, encouraging to me, right? And uh, I was not... uh, uh, I was, of course, disciplined, but um, I, I got a lot of praise. Just that's sort of part of uh, um, American Jewish culture, you know. Uh, my my wife calls it mom goggles, and so uh, this is a, a quote from my mom uh, when I was in college. This is when I was in college, mind you. Uh, she turned to one of my friends and she said, "Have you seen my David swing a tennis racket?" It's a thing of beauty. So, so I got a lot of encouragement. That's just to give you an example. I got a lot of encouragement growing up. Um, and not as much constructive criticism. So I wasn't used to it. My parents were, were great. Of course, they did correct me. But uh, I didn't receive that as much. So when I, when I grew up, right, I wasn't used to that. You know, I kind of chafed it at uh, correction or criticism, even if it was loving. And uh, it's something that the Lord has really been working on me. And and I believe uh, that I've grown and gotten a lot better. Um, The fool does not receive correction, does not receive discipline. Um, The fool would lie and deceive in Proverbs. This is similar to uh, the foolish actions of Jacob early in his life. Uh, A fool does not listen to advice, according to Proverbs. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, is quick to quarrel, but the lips of the wise protect them. That's from Proverbs 14, verse 3. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to their rage. So this is about reacting. How do we react when we are hurt by something that people have said. Do we react or do we respond? Do we react or do we respond? Um, the, the leaders, the Shamashim and the elders and I are going through a really great book. Um, it's a, a congregational book. It's called uh, Congregational Leadership During Anxious Times. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> oh, man, that's, God bless you. Congregational leadership during anxious. I just have congregational book in my, in my paper up here, so God bless you. Um, and uh, what is that about? Well, one of the theses, is that theses that he talks about is how we respond instead of react. And how do we do that? Well, there's always going to be anxiety, right? In life, there are things that cause us to be anxious, because that's the way life is. It happened to King Saul. It happens to us. But the question is, not is there anxiety, but how do we respond to that? Do we choose to respond or react? 
when we're hurt by something that someone says, do we pause for a moment so that we don't give full vent to our wrath, our anger? It's how we handle those things, how we handle anxiety that matters in life. And that is one of the purposes of the fool in Proverbs. The fool also despises their parents and despises the counsel of their parents. It says, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 15 through 20. 15 verse 20. And I think that's connected to, uh, of course, the Ten Commandments, uh, one of which is to honor. We are to honor our mother and father and listen to the counsel they give us. Um, uh, a fool is, um, I was looking in, a, in one of my study Bibles, and it's described in the Hebrew word as someone who's being morally deficient, right? Not just someone who does not believe in God, but is trying to do evil, right? And trying to do things their own way. Um, one of the words is actually, um, you could transliterate it, E-V-I-L, evil. That's one of the words for fool. I, I don't, maybe it's a coincidence. I don't know. Um, but uh, that is another word for fool. Another word in Proverbs is chasar lev, which means lacking heart or lacking discernment. Um, the person that is chasar lev in Proverbs, this is at Proverbs chapter 7, what are they doing? They're playing around with lust. They're not putting a guard on their heart and on their putting boundaries on their actions to protect themselves from lust. This is, according to scripture, foolish. Then it says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. So it's even worse, as bad as it is to be a fool, it's even worse to be proud, to be think that you are wise or you know all of the answers, right? We have to be humble. Um, a fool also in Proverbs, they repeat their own folly, like a dog returning to its vomit, which it says in 26.11. So what does that mean? That means a fool doesn't learn from their mistakes. We all make mistakes, amen, right? But how do we respond as a wise person? A wise person looks at the mistake and says, what is the Lord teaching me from that so I don't return to that vomit, right? But I am learning from that so that I can turn to the Lord, right? And a fool in Proverbs 28, 26, trusts in themselves. We've seen that with David and King Saul when they trusted in themselves, their own strength, their own power to do things. That is proud. That is foolish. So what's a summary of how not to be a fool in Proverbs? Well, if you don't want to be a fool, you need to Accept correction and advice. You need to try to respond instead of react. We need to honor our parents. We need to learn from our mistakes. And we need to trust in Hashem. Um, the fool, as described in Jeremiah, is very interesting. Um, what, he, what he says is um, that the foolish children, his foolish children, do not know his ways, do not know his Torah. And the Hebrew word is ya'al, which is uh, translated to act foolishly, right? And it says these people have no understanding and they just want to do 
evil. So how do we not be a fool according to Jeremiah? We need to hide the Torah in our heart. And we need to ask Yeshua to write it on our hearts. Because Jeremiah said that there would be a new covenant with the children of Israel. That he would take the Torah and write it on their hearts so that they can actually do it. Right? So we need God's help to not be a fool so that we can shema. We can shema. What does that mean? So that we can listen. But if you have studied Hebrew, you know that the word shema means a lot more than listen. I think Wayne talked about this uh, a week or two ago. Shema. What is that? What does the fullness of that mean? Well, let's say I'm uh, uh, talking with my wife, and uh, I might be on the computer, and she says, uh, hey, honey, uh, would you take out the trash? And I respond, I say, sure. And I just keep, you know, doing what I'm doing on, on my computer. Have I heard her? Not, not really, right? I wasn't listening, right? When we, when we discipline our children for not uh, doing what we ask, right, we say, you're not what? You're not listening. And the same connotation is in Hebrew, right? Shema isn't just to listen. It isn't just to hear, but it's actually to do, right? To, that would be if I actually got up and took out the trash. Then I would be doing the full meaning of Shema. But how do we do that? How do we really Shema the Lord's Torah? How do we really listen and obey? He has to write it on our hearts. He has to write it on our hearts in the new covenant through Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua, speaking of Yeshua, he also talks about the fool. And this is in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. And the, the, there's, of course, a Greek word for this, um, which is kind of neat. It's spelled M-O-R-O-S, moros. So what, what words do you think we get from this Greek word? Moron. That's right. Okay. Well, now, it's not, good, uh, <laughs> it's not good theology to try to um, derive that meaning from this ancient word. But it, it, it does kind of give us a, 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 a brief sense of what, what the meaning is related to. So we don't want to hang your hat on that. But it is interesting, right? We don't want to be a moron, so we want to listen to what Yeshua says. This is in Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. There's the anxiety again, right? Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice, does not shema, does not fully do them, right? He's, he's giving, I think, a really interesting uh, translation of the word shema. Listen to this. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, right? That would be the first example. I'm not taking out the trash. Is like a what? A foolish man who built his house on sand. We don't want to build our houses on sand. We want a good foundation. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, that anxiety came and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So, Yeshua says, anyone that hears my words and does them, the full meaning of Shema, that 
is not a fool. That is a wise man or woman of God. So what have we learned about how not to be a fool today? What is a, someone who's not a fool, right? What do they do? They're not a moron, right? But what does that mean? According to scripture, they listen to instruction and discipline. They do it, they hear, and they obey, right? They're, what about in, in, uh, in Jacob? What have we learned from Jacob and King Saul and David? Wait. Wait upon the Lord, right? If he said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. We don't have to be ruled by anxiety. We all have anxiety, but we can be ruled by the king. We can be ruled by the king, Yeshua. Amen? Right? If we don't want to be a fool, we want to be slow to anger. God himself, the only one that could judge, he himself is slow to anger. How much more should we be slow to anger? We should be forgiving. We should keep track, try to keep track of our words. Someone that is not a fool, they are very careful, very discerning with what they say. And ultimately, we need to know his teaching. We need to know Yeshua's ways. We need to know what he said, right? His new covenant, right, which is just a continuation of the Torah because he said he would write the Torah on our hearts. So we need to ask the Lord to do that through Yeshua. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we thank you for your guidance and your counsel in your word and the things that you're teaching us, Lord. And none of us is a complete fool and none of us is a complete wise person. But we want to be open to what you're teaching us now in how to follow your ways and how to excuse me, how to follow your Torah to be more like Yeshua, oh God, in your timing. And we trust that you are have a, you have us in this process, oh God, that you're using the, our, the things in our lives, even though they may cause anxiety, for, for your glory and for our good. As long as we trust you, as long as we trust you, oh God, that you are king, and that you are sovereign, and that you love us. And I pray for your shalom, O oh God, to cover, to cover us, O oh God, in the midst of this process, and help us all to be wise, not in our own sight, but Lord, wise in your sight. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.